The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Nehemiah chapter number 8, we're continuing our message series entitled The God Who Builds. We've been going through the book of Nehemiah looking at how even in the midst of agonizing times, God does uh, some amazing building work. And we've seen many ways he wants to do that building work in our lives uh, by looking at the story of Nehemiah and the nation of Israel. Nehemiah chapter number 8, we're going to read verses number 1 down through verse number 8. The Bible says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of the men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe, stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah and Shema and Ananiah and Urijah and Hikiah and Masaiah on his right hand, and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishai and Malachi and Masham and Hashbanana and Zechariah. You're all thinking of bananas now. I know it. That's, that's, a, that's a fun one. <laughs> Zechariah and Mashalom, verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, And when he had opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, and Bani, and Sherebiah, and Jamin, and Akab, and Shabbatai, and Hodijah, and Messiah, and Kilita, and Uriah, and Josabad, and Hanan, and Pelai, and the Levites, caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Verse number 8, so they read the book and the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. This morning, pastor is going to come and preach a message, the God who builds through the scriptures. Thank you so much for being here today, worshiping with us at Ambassador. We are so glad uh, to have you. If you're visiting, we want you to know, um, man, basically, we're just a church that likes to get into the Word and just study it. And right now, we're taking a book from the Bible, and we're just going verse by verse by verse, because, you know, at the end of the day, I realize that what people are looking for, they don't care to hear from a personality. Uh, They could care less what a denomination has to say, or what a religion has to say, or what a political party has to say. And so, around here we just like to open up the bible we're just kind of read through it walk through it and hopefully when you leave you have a little bit of a deeper understanding as to what god's word has to say and however the holy spirit would apply that to your life and your situation uh, would be his work and his job so speaking about the bible this morning um I had a Bible that I was given oh, about 12 years ago that meant so much to me. It was just, it was a gift uh, by some folks who really meant a lot to me, and I, I loved this particular Bible that I was given. It had a nice cover on it. In fact, it was unique in the fact that every page had a page of scripture, but then on the other page was a blank page where you could write out notes and things that the Lord taught you and, and uh, little insights from Bible studies and things like that. It was just, it was an awesome Bible. I loved it. It was 
great, and I used it all the time. So when I would go and travel and speak somewhere, I would take that Bible with me because I could put notes about things I wanted to say, and, and it was just, it was, it was awesome. For years and years and years, I would use that particular Bible. Well, on one occasion, I was down in Los Angeles. I was speaking down there, and uh, when I got home, I realized, man, I can't find my Bible like anywhere. I had, I had no idea where it was, and I thought for sure I'd left it at the hotel. And so I called the hotel up. I said, hey, I think I may have lost my Bible. I think I might have left it at your hotel. Could you please have housekeeping go and look and find, see if you can find my Bible anywhere? Well, they looked. They couldn't find it. They said, hey, we'll call you back if we do get a hold of it. They never called back. I called again. They couldn't find it. And I thought to myself, oh, man, I, I totally lost, like, my favorite Bible in the world. And I just, I felt really, really bad because I had so many notes in it and so much just kind of my personal spiritual journey, journey just kind of journaled in its pages. And, and, and it just kind of was a real bummer. The next part of the story that I'm going to share with you, I was told later on, all right? So this is kind of interesting. So one day, there's this... Uh, homeless man who was sitting at a park, all right? As he's sitting there, he notices in the distance there's a man, and he, this man takes what looks like a book, and he throws it in the trash can, and this homeless guy is sitting there, and he's like, I, I, think, I think that's a book, you know? And so as the guy leaves, this homeless man goes over to where the trash can was, and he pulls out this book, and the book ended up being a Bible, he looks at it, and on the front of the Bible, there was a name. He did not know who this person was, and so he just kind of took the Bible. He put it into his shopping cart, and every once in a while, he would pull it out and kind of read the Bible a little bit, and, and it was kind of this homeless man's Bible. Well, one day, somebody from our church handed this particular gentleman an invitation. said, hey, we love you. We're for you. We would love for you to come and visit our church sometime. This man says, oh, all right, whatever. He, he grabs this particular publication. He looks at it, and at the bottom, there's a name of a pastor. And he says, I've seen that name somewhere before. Where have I seen that name? And then it hits him. It was the same name that was on the, the front of the Bible that he had pulled out of the trash can. And he grabs this thing, and he looks, and he says, man, this, this Bible must, must belong to that pastor. And so he found the address, and he, he walked over to our old facility that was on Clinton Avenue. How many of you remember the little chapel over there on Clinton? He delivered the Bible. He said, hey, he told this story, gave the Bible back. And I am glad to announce that after several months of it being gone, I got my Bible back, you know. And so that was a really cool thing. And uh, you say, well, what's the, what's the big deal about that? God preserved his his." His word, I guess you could say for me individually, but much bigger than that and much grander than that, God has preserved his inspired word for all of humanity. And that is an incredible and powerful reality that God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak into your life. He has a word for your marriage. He has a word for your family. He has a word for your career that the God of the universe, the creator of all that there is, the sustainer of life as we know it, wants to speak with you and has given you a word. Now, if the Bible, this is kind of our theme for the service this morning, if the Bible only demanded that you change, if that's all the Bible was about, do this and do that, don't do this and don't do that, if, if the Bible only demanded that you change, that would be highly discouraging. It, it really would be. 
But the fact that the Bible actually changes you, that's encouraging. It's not just that the scriptures say do this and do this and don't do this and don't do that. The scriptures literally have an intrinsic power to change your life from the inside out. Today we're going to look at the power of the scripture from chapter number 8 of Nehemiah. Before we do, I want to just take a brief moment and get some context from chapter number seven, because we left off in chapter number six last week. So real quickly, let's just read verses number one and two of chapter number seven to give us the context uh, so we get a proper interpretation of what's taking place. Nehemiah chapter number seven, verse one and two says, it came to pass when the wall was built. We studied this last week. They had been working for weeks and weeks and weeks to rebuild the temple walls so the enemies couldn't exploit them, could no longer attack them, and now it's done. This is a big moment for these people in Jerusalem. He said, I I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed. That I gave my brother Hanana and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem. Why? For he was a faithful man and feared God above many. So what Nehemiah is now doing, remember Nehemiah is a governor. He's a political figure and he has just finished leading this project to build up the walls around Jerusalem so the enemies could no longer attack, so they could worship their God in peace. And now as a governor, he's going to start setting up some political structure and he appoints some people and some nobles and some rulers and he gets these people in place, which leads us here to our first big insight in chapter number seven, and that is the organization of the community. That's what he's doing. He's just going to organize things a little bit here. Now you come down to verse number five and he says, my God, put it in my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people that they might be reckoned by genealogy. So here's what's interesting. Nehemiah was not primarily focused on just building up a wall and organizing a city politically. According to verse number five, we see here that his focus was not just to build a wall, but his focus was on what God wanted to do in the individual lives of the people that lived within that city. Now, Colossians chapter number two, verse seven says this, we as believers, we are rooted and then we are built up in Christ. You see, God doesn't want to just leave you the way you are. He doesn't want to leave your marriage the way it is. He doesn't want to leave your family. He doesn't want to leave your spiritual life, your emotional state. He doesn't want to leave it the way it is. He wants to literally build you up. He wants to develop you. He wants to grow you. And he's going to use his word to do exactly that. Now, I like to say it this way. You see, God built up a wall in this passage so he could ultimately build up a people. God's primary intention was to to build and to develop a people that that could love and serve one another, that would have joy in the Lord, as we're going to see here in a little bit. And so we see in this passage, God often does something around us so that he can ultimately do something in us. Think about that for a moment. You might have some things going on in your life, some things around you, your circumstances, the situation that you find yourself in, and God is doing some things around you in your career. He's doing some things around you in your family. Some of the circumstances and and issues that you're facing could be positive, it could be negative, but as God in his sovereignty is doing something around you, 
Ultimately, he wants to do something in you even more. He wants to use your circumstances at work and the situations in your family to ultimately build you up. His primary focus is not to fix your situation. His primary focus is to fix you. To build you up. You see, even in our church family, we're, we're seeing some exciting things. As Hunter said a moment ago, we're going to multiple services. We had a great service here this morning at 9.30. Good group here. Another great group here at uh, 11 o'clock. Uh, we're getting ready to purchase some more a building for our youth center and our teen space. And we're excited about what God's doing in our children's ministries. And so there are some neat things happening in our situation, and our circumstances. But here's what I want to remind you of. The reason that God does something around us as a church in our situation and our circumstances is ultimately so he can do something in us. The goal of these campaigns is not just to have more space for kids or to have a cooler place for our teenagers or to have more options for services. Ultimately, what God is doing around us, he is doing so he can do something in us. What is God wanting to do in you through your circumstances? And are you allowing him to do what he wants to do in you through your circumstances? You say, but I don't like my circumstances. My circumstances are hard. They're difficult. I want to remind you that what God does around you, he does so he can ultimately do something in you. He wants to build you up. He wants to grow you. He wants to develop you. So from verse number six all the way to the end of the chapter here of chapter number seven, Nehemiah begins to study all of the names of the people who migrated to Jerusalem. Literally, as you begin to read this, it's just weird name after weird name after weird name after weird name for like dozens of verses. So we are going to spare you from reading those. I don't want to totally mess all those names up in front of all of you all, all right? So if you want to read those names, go ahead after church, read the names. But basically, Nehemiah is studying a uh, kind of list of everybody who uh, kind of migrated there into Jerusalem in the past uh, there. He does this as he prepares for the revival that's about to take place in chapter number eight. So once the wall was rebuilt, now they're going to have their soul rebuilt. Remember, the reason that they got into captivity was not because they weren't strong enough. It wasn't because they didn't have sharp enough swords. It wasn't because they didn't have enough money. Remember, they rebelled against God. In their heart, they, they, they no longer uh, were drawn to the things that God was drawn to. There was something going on spiritually, and that's what led to their captivity. So now that God has developed the walls around them, he's going to develop the heart within them. And that's what takes place in verse uh, number one of chapter number eight, which leads us here, is what we're going to see in chapter eight, and that is their obsession now with the scriptures, their obsession with the scriptures. Let's just start reading it. Notice here, verse number one of chapter eight. And all the people gathered themselves together, notice this, as one man. The first mark of spiritual renewal, of revival, is that it takes, it really does, that it takes place is, is unity. This is one of the marks how you know God's beginning to work in a person's life. It brings unity to a marriage, brings unity to a family, brings unity to a workplace, it brings unity to a church. One of the ways you know when spiritual renewal is taking place is you're able to get along with people who are different than you. You're able to be at peace with people who you wouldn't normally be at peace with. This is one of the marks of somebody who's maturing spiritually, and that's what's happening here. It says they all gathered themselves together. Notice this, as like one man. They were in like harmony. They were at peace. 
There was a unity here that was starting to take place that didn't exist in some of the other chapters as we saw in previous weeks. But notice what it says at the end of verse number one here. It says they gathered as one man in the street. Notice this, before the water gate. Now, obviously, this is not speaking of the Nixon administration, all right? This is something else entirely. Around the uh, city of Jerusalem, there were many different gates that would allow you to get in, and each of these gates would have names. I think they have a map of this somewhere uh, that we could put on the screens. But one of these gates here that existed on the east side was referred to as the water gate. It would have been south of the Temple Mount, on the east side of the old city, right above the springs of Gihon, all right? Hezekiah, earlier, King Hezekiah built a water tunnel from the spring into the city to allow water to get there so the inhabitants and the citizens could have this water. And and it's really interesting to me that they met here rather than meeting at the temple. I mean, here they are about to have a religious service of sorts, but rather than going to the temple, they go to the water gate, Now, there's maybe some reasons for this. Now, as some of you who have studied ancient biblical history, you realize that uh, the temple in Jerusalem had segregation to it. There were certain parts that the Jews could go to. There were other parts that Gentiles or non-Jews could go to. There were parts that the women could go to. There was all this kind of segregation that took place, and it would have made it really difficult for everyone to get together in a spirit of worship. So this meeting uh, is not at the temple, but rather in a place where just normal life happens. This is where you would just go to get water that you needed. It was a place of just everyday life. It's not some religious place of religious ceremony, but it's just, there was just regular people in their everyday lives worshiping God. And I think there's a very important thing to note here. If you and I are not careful, we can get into this thinking that worship happens at church. You know, I focus on God when I come to a place that has a steeple on it or a place that sings songs about God or puts a cross somewhere. That's where I worship. And yet what we're seeing in this passage and what Jesus Christ just totally blows up is this reality that worship is not limited to a sacred place, all right? Jesus comes along and says, listen, hey, your body now is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so now wherever your body goes, there the Holy Spirit goes. And now worship can happen in everyday life when you're at work can i say this your work can literally be worship to god literally every aspect of your being whether you're raising kids in your marriage at your workplace all of it can serve as worship to god that doesn't replace how an assembly like this can mature us and how it can offer us grace, I still believe there's a place to gather together and experience the grace of God and to experience community one with another. But what we're seeing here in Nehemiah is a foreglimpse that there's coming a time where worship is going to move beyond just the four walls of a religious space. And it's going to literally spread into every part of a person's life, everyday life. Notice verse number two. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. So all the men are there, all the women are there. There's no segregation here at the water gate. And it says all that could understand. The implication is there were even teenagers and kids there, kids that could process what Ezra was doing. And so he just starts reading the law, anyone that could understand. Uh, verse number four tells us that he stood on a pulpit of wood. They literally built this platform and he stood on it and they had made it for the purpose of him being able to give the law. Verse number three says this, and he read therein from the law, before the street that was before the water gate, notice this, from the morning 
unto midday. Get this. Ezra the priest literally reads the scripture for six or seven hours. You guys think I'm long-winded? You ain't seen nothing yet, all right? I mean, a seven-hour sermon. But notice the next part of this verse. The Bible says, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Like, they were just soaking it in. They're like, yes, this is feeding our soul. Yes, I need this. Yes, I want it. Not for one hour, two hour, three hour, four hour, five hour. So here's my idea today. I thought, you know, as we're doing this, maybe for the first time we try a six-hour sermon. How many in favor? I? All right, not as much excitement as I was hoping on. We'll just keep it to the regular 30 minutes. How does that sound, all right? So here's what Nehemiah is doing. He brings the Torah, the law, this would be the first five books of our Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He just reads it. Just reads this and he, he gives it. Now, here's what's interesting. As Ezra the priest is reading the law, you're going to see a theme begin to emerge. And that is this idea of understanding. Notice the text there. Five times you're going to see the word understanding. In verse number two, you'll see the word understanding. In verse number three, you'll see the word understanding. In verse number seven, you'll see the word understanding. Verse number eight, you'll see the word understanding. Verse number 12. The key of this passage, what God wants us to to know is that, hey, it's not enough just to hear the word. It's not enough just to be able to articulate. He says, I want you to understand the word. Understanding is a really, really big deal. Um, I have three children. My, my youngest, Landon, one day came up to my wife, and uh, Landon says to my wife, Mom, you want to see my awesome face? So I guess somehow he had figured there was faces that were awesome and faces that were not so awesome. And so he gave my wife his awesome face. I mean, the face that was just going to make everybody be like, wow, that's so cool. So my wife took a picture of his awesome face. Notice this. No joking. This is Landon's awesome face. So if you ever see him making this face, he thinks he's awesome. Don't let him know that it's not, all right? You just tell him it's his awesome, he's awesome, he's cool. So one day, Landon, he's a little guy, he comes up to me and he says, when he, was, he, says uh, he says, I want a Marlboro. I'm like, cigarette? Like, what, what's going on? You know, how, how many of you remember the Marlboro man on those big billboard ads? You know, uh, he was this kind of cool cowboy, and he'd always be smoking his Marlboro cigarette. And so uh, Landon says to me again, he says, I want a Marlboro. <laughs> I'm like, like, you know, he's like three or maybe four years old at the time. And, and a third time he says, I want, I want a Marlboro. You know, and I'm, I'm like, man. Whose kids is he hanging out with in the nursery? You know, I'm trying to think through, you know, okay. You know, who's try, trying to get my kids to smoke, you know, at four years old, you know. So, hey, I said, I said what, what are you saying? He said, I want marbles. And finally, I figured out what he was saying. He's saying, I want marbles, <laughs> like the little toy. You see, understanding what someone is trying to say is very, very important. How many of you realize, if I would have given my child a cigarette instead of a toy, that would have been a problem, all right? You guys realize that would have been a little bit of an issue. Understanding what somebody's saying is important in all areas of life. It's especially important when it comes to the Word of God. 
You see, this idea that we go to church and just listen and kind of go through the motions in one ear, out the other, is not a biblical concept. You don't get spiritual brownie points because you sat down, you heard, and you're just kind of, okay, that's cool, this is awesome. No, this idea, this theme of understanding the word is extremely important throughout the Bible. However, in modern American culture, we have a unique perspective of understanding that is not consistent with the word in the Hebrew that is being used in this particular passage, okay, for us, all right? Uh, let, me, let me say it this way. There, it, it, biblically speaking, there are three levels to truly understanding something, all right? If we're talking about the word understanding from a biblical context, all right? First of all, it starts with knowing it. This is the academic, intellectual you know, cerebral, you know, psychological elements of kind of being able to engage content. It's, it's knowing it. And I think this is mostly what we think of when we think of understanding. So when I ask somebody something, I say, hey, do you understand what I'm saying? This is usually what they're thinking about. I cognitively, academically, cerebrally, I kind of get it, you know? And so this is the idea of understanding. However, as you study the whole of scripture, you will find that the idea of understanding goes much deeper than simply academic in the word of God. You see, the biblical idea of understanding goes to level two, and that's just not knowing it, but I want you to see it has to do with, with doing it. The scriptures would imply that we really don't understand something if it's not a natural part of our practical lives. There is an element to which we understand something by doing it. You know how this is. It's one thing if you were to stand there and somebody were to teach you how to swim when you were a quick kid just by, you know, making charts, giving you quizzes. But until you just jump in the pool and start flapping your arms, the reality is you don't really understand how to swim. You see, understanding takes on this practical element of being able to do it. When you can practically do something, there's a level of understanding that is deeper than when you simply know it academically. And so biblically, there's this idea of understanding. John 7, 17 says this. It's very interesting. It says, if any man will do his will, then he shall know the doctrine. What? That's interesting. What the Bible is teaching is that there is a level of understanding that comes that is beyond just an academic interaction with it. That when you're doing it, it gives you a deeper level of understanding so that you can know, you can understand what it is that God is trying to teach. My friend, the final goal of Scripture is not merely enlightened minds. It's a great thing to come to church and feel like you learned something from the book of Nehemiah. You could go out the back doors and say, wow, I learned about all the genealogies of those who migrated into Jerusalem back 500 years before the time of Christ. You, you, could, you could say whatever you want to say. The reality is that's not why the Bible was written. It's not why Jesus came to just simply enlighten your mind. Christ came to transform our lives. And there is a level of understanding that you get to when the grace of God is working in your life to a degree that it's changing the way you live, you understand it deeper. 
It's a deeper level of understanding. But then there's a third level, and that's sharing it. Sharing it. You who have kids, you'll kind of get this, or some of you who are teachers in this room, you'll understand this. When you are forced to articulate something with your words, when you're forced to share it, you know, with your mouths, when you have to talk about it and teach it and mentor somebody else in it, it forces you to understand it and think about it in much deeper, more complex ways. I know for those of you who teach a Bible class or you have to preach or, or maybe you've done one-on-one discipleship, when you're going through that, it forces you to under, have to understand it in a much deeper way. But why? Because somebody's asking you a question and you're like, oh, I never thought about it from that angle before. That's really interesting. And, and then they'll ask another question and you're like, huh, I never thought about it in that way. And so you have to get answers and you kind of have to figure some of these things out. And when you're mentoring somebody in something, you're forced to understand it in a deep way. And so a person who understands it academically, who is able to do it practically, that is they're modeling it, now has a platform to be able to mentor others in these things. I'm going to say this. People who know something academically, do it practically, and are sharing it around have an incredible understanding of whatever it is that they're sharing much deeper than somebody who just understands it academically. (laughs) How many of you people have someone at work who always is like talking, talking, talking about everything they know, whatever, but but like they, you're like, yeah, I think they, they use all the right words, but like they don't get it. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're never actually doing anything with all the stuff they're talking about. And so when they do try to share or mentor, it doesn't come from a position of authority. It doesn't come from a position of they've actually done anything. You see, the people who understand, and this is not just spiritually. This can be in any realm, in your career. This can be in marriage and parenting. To really understand something, you've got to know it academically. You've got to be practicing it and modeling it in a very real way. And then to be able to share it. This is why here at Ambassador, we're so big on everybody being involved in Next Step Bible Studies, where you are sharing whatever it is that God has taught you with somebody else. It's called peer-to-peer. You get with somebody else and you sharpen each other. The Bible says iron sharpening iron. It's a wonderful and great thing. Why? Because it's not just helpful for the person that you're spending time with. Guess what? It's actually helping you grow deeper in your understanding of what God has for you. So these understanding, understanding was a huge theme of this particular passage. Yes, their obsession with the word of God, but they just didn't want it to go in one ear and out the other. They literally wanted to understand it, and Ezra wanted them to understand it academically, practically, to the point where they're literally sharing it with others. And I want to encourage you guys with the same thing. Whatever it is that God has given to you, man, ask him for the grace to practically begin to live it out. It takes his strength. You can't do it on your own. But he desires to do it through you if you'll yield to him and keep focused on him. He can allow these things to be fleshed out in your everyday life, literally to the point now you can share it with others, not from a posture of pride or arrogance, but from a posture of humility that desires to help others be built up in the faith, whether it be in their marriages, to help build them up when it comes to their kids, maybe just in their own spiritual life. It's so important for both individuals, that there are people willing to share. Some of you are growing stagnant, and I've been here in my life, and it's not because you're not taking in. 
You know all the Bible. You grew up in Sunday school. You've been going to church since you were one or whatever the case, years in Bible st- studies. And you know, you've even gone through all of that. And here's why you're growing stagnant, because you've stopped sharing it with others. And it causes you to grow stagnant. Man, share it with your kids. Share it with neighbors. Do a discipleship. Do a Bible study. Get opportunities where you're forced to share it. I promise you, it'll get you out of a stagnant state spiritually. There comes a point when you stop growing from simply taking in. But you've got to get to a point where really the only way to go forward is by sharing it with others. Verse number four says beside him, this is verse number four now, it says beside him were here all these men. There were men on his right, men on his left, Pastor Nick, said their names. Here's what they were there for. He was long-winded. He was preaching, and so Ezra needed some help, and it seems like these other guys were there to help him read the law for this six or seven hours, and they were there. So we see here that the word of God was so, so important to them. Uh, Notice here in verses number seven and verses number eight, it gives the list of these men, another group of men, and it says these men caused the people to understand the law. Notice this phrase, and the people stood in their place, so the people stood where they were, but these other men uh, helped them to understand what was being read. Verse 8, so they read in the book of the law of God, that's the men on the stage, distinctly, and then gave a sense, notice this, causing them to understand the reading. Okay, so let me, let me explain what's going on, and we'll kind of wrap this up. Here, Ezra, these men are reading the law. Then there's these other men who go out to where the people are. The people stay where they're at, and they kind of run up, and they basically say something like this. Hey, do you, you understand what's being said? Do you get it? Is this making sense to you? Is this confusing? Or, uh, how, how, you know, and there was this, these men who were just there trying to help, under, help the people understand what was being taught. Very similar to what we do in our connection group Bible studies. We do, we do sermon-based. We started them up this week. Basically, on the way out, you will get a Bible study given to you from this passage. Later on this week, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, whenever your group meets, you'll have an opportunity to meet with your connection group leader, with other people in your group, and your connection group leader is like, okay, what you learned, did that make sense? All right, do you have any questions? How are you applying it? It's not enough just to learn it academically. How, how, are, you gonna, how, how, are, you, how are you allowing the Holy Spirit to live this thing out through you? Who are you going to teach? How, how, are, how are these things developing? Why? These people are put in our lives to help us grow. And I'm thankful for the connection group leaders we have that are modeling what we see here in verses number seven and verses number eight. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you, if you haven't, man, get into a connection group. It's so, so vital. Kind of living out a deeper understanding of what God's word has to say, not just intellectually, practically, getting the grace to model and and to live these things out. So, as we said at the beginning of the service, if the Bible only demands that you change, it would be highly discouraging. But that the Bible actually changes you is really energizing. So here's my challenge, and we're done. I want to encourage you to get in the word. Get in the word. Man, thanks for being here today. But tomorrow, get in the Word. Tuesday, get in the Word. Wednesday, get in the Word. Get in the Word, and then let the Word get in you. And let it change your values and your motives and your worldviews and your priorities. And yield to it. Keep your focus fixed on God. I love this in verse number 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen. With lifting up of hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I want you to see that ultimately what the text did 
is it got their focus fixed on God. The goal of this sermon was not for them to say, ooh, look at all these cool names and the genealogies. Ooh, look at all these biblical facts. They weren't just taking in information so they could win Bible trivia at the next Bible study. No, all this caused them to turn their attention in worship toward God. And that is the point of every sermon. It is the point of every Bible study. It is the point of every discipleship is that the people around you would get a bigger, more broad, more wondrous view of who God is that stirs them up to say, wow, the God who created all things and sustains all things is for me, is my heavenly father. And it causes us to come to worship in him, the point of God's word. And so we see God wants to build us up. And so we see there's a God who builds through his word. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.